as I mentioned during our announcement time today, we are in the middle of a process that will help us understand church structure, local church structure and functioning. Fully admitting that the way that we uh, do things and have things structured varies uh, differently uh, with other local churches and fellowships. Some churches and denominations do things uh, slightly different. We want to uh, come with an understanding of that. Uh, but we want to come to Scripture. That is our desire. And so uh, if you're brand new to the topic, uh, like I said, pretty much every uh, local church that you find is going to have some sort of a document that guides it as far as how it's structured and organized, who leads, uh, who participates, and uh, what do we believe? Uh, what do we teach? Uh, some sort of a summary of doctrine. And so as we get through this, uh, know that it is my heart. Uh, last Sunday, uh, the sermon is online uh, today, uh, the 11th, and next Sunday, the 18th, to not only share what we believe some of the best changes would be to our Constitution, but also uh, for those of you that are new to the whole topic, just to gain an understanding of what local church life and structure is all about. And so as we get going today, uh, last week we talked about elders. I'm going to do a little bit of a review of who the elders are. The elders in Scripture are the governing body and authority over God's people. Today we look at deacons, uh, deacons who serve the church. And so our, our text for today is 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Last week, elders, what and who? Today, deacons, what are deacons? Who are they? We're going to do a little bit of a, a survey of Scripture, and throughout we'll be exposing the principles of church government, and then at the end we'll uh, kind of, hopefully, uh, everybody will have an understanding of some of the changes that we are proposing regarding deacons in our new Constitution. Let's go back and review just a little bit. I brought my mug back again. It was about a year ago I was given this mug. If you can't read it, it says on it, Best pastor ever and uh, I keep it in my office because I have a low self-esteem and some days it just helps me to drink coffee out of this mug honestly um, I'm kidding it's just kind of you're laughing you're smiling you should be right it's kind of a joke none of us really believes that I'm the best pastor ever um, I'm not really trying to be <laughs> uh, I want to serve well and I want to serve faithfully the whole goal of leadership and eldership is that we work to lead humbly. 
In both the Old and New Testament, qualified elders led God's people and cared for them spiritually. As I mentioned, as we saw last week, the elders are kind of the governing body, the governing authority of the local church. We looked at a couple more verses past this, but I highlighted a couple things that just kind of help bring back to mind that the elders are commanded here in 1 Peter 5 to shepherd the flock of God, among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. And then look there a little bit later, not domineering, over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's a, there's a humility, there's a unity, there's a care, uh, there's a governing and an oversight. All those are components of elders who oversee the local church. And this passage here in 1 Peter 5, uh, it actually encompasses the word a bishop, um, overseer, and pastor, uh, an elder, they're all kind of together. So if you wonder if those are separate people, uh, they're really not. Uh, they are all referred to by those different, uh, different words, just even in the passage that you see there. So that's a little bit of the idea of, of elders in the Bible. I wanted to give that as a review before we uh, continue on today. So the question then is, what about deacons? I will tell you, up front that this has been a little bit harder to prepare for because when it comes to what the Bible says about deacons, we have far less material to go off of and to analyze than we do about elders. Deacons are not really mentioned by that specific office in the Old Testament. We found out last week that elders were mentioned throughout the history of God's people uh, in the Old Testament before Christ came. And then, as we just saw, uh, as the New Testament church was being established, that there were to be elders. And so we saw a, a unity. We, we don't really have that when it comes to deacons. And so I have this uh, word in quotation marks. I have echoes of deacons in the Old Testament. And I think it's important to understand that, that as God appointed leadership in the Old Testament, there were always these echoes of deacon-like figures who were there to serve God's plan and God's purposes and to help out those who were leading. Just a couple of examples of this. This is Leviticus 16. I encourage you to go and read the whole chapter. It's very, very fascinating. It's about the Day of Atonement, uh, a celebration that the Israelites uh, celebrated every single year, and a special way, a special celebration of confessing their sin before God. All right, and, and specifically what I want you to see here, I'll, I'll read this. It says, Aaron lay, uh, shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. Now this is a, uh, a, an observance that they would kill one goat for the sins of the people and they would send one away, kind of into isolation. And this is how it's laid out in Leviticus 16. And who is there to help the purpose of the priest who's doing this is someone who stands in readiness. Someone who's ready to serve and to help the purpose. So that's one echo of the deacon. Here's uh, a couple more. Um, these are uh, back from the instructions in building the tabernacle. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name uh, Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, 
the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, knowledge, all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. God laid out the instructions to Moses. Here is how the the tabernacle, which was their place where they went to, to worship, it was a portable structure. Wherever they went throughout the desert, the tabernacle went with them and they set it up for worship. And there are a couple of people mentioned here who have specific abilities. And that God, through his spirit, would empower these people to serve in the building of the tabernacle. These are echoes, Old Testament echoes, of deacon-like figures who come along and use their gifts and abilities to serve God in specific and special ways. So while we don't have the term deacon in the Old Testament, we do have echoes of servanthood, foundations of it as we see it. So, in the New Testament, they are servants who care, generally serve, and allow for elders' focus. Now, what do I mean by elders' focus? Uh, the example that I've chosen here is from Acts chapter 6. It is actually one of the closest examples that we have to actually seeing something like a deacon in action in the New Testament. And here's what it says. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. All right, so this, these are people who care about God's people. They're among the early disciples in the early church. And they are certainly of notable character. They stand out. These are people in whom is the spirit of God. And it is recognized. And they're able to choose seven men, in this case, to help solve this issue. I'm not going to go into the specifics of the issue. What I want you to see are the people who come along to serve. And, and what do they do? They help the apostles focus. They want to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's not that elders never serve otherwise, never pitch in a hand and show up for the church work day or care about the physical needs of people. That's not what it says at all. But generally there is a focus of spiritual leadership and governing that the elders take on. And the role then of seven men like this is to come along and say, hey, we want to help. We want to support what God is doing and to, to help ensure focus. So that's a little bit about, uh, about deacons. A couple of pictures that we see from the Old Testament and a specific uh, picture of what deacons may have looked like in the New Testament. What are deacons' roles? We believe deacons have God-given heart, character, and skills to serve the Lord 
we do not see in Scripture that their role includes governing and direction setting for the church. What are the roles of deacons? Outside of the passage I just used in Acts chapter 6, we are not given a manual of every responsibility that deacons are supposed to have or to carry out. The best illustration uh, that I can use as a comparison is parenting. For those of you that have parented young children, have you ever wondered, man, I wish a lot of these decisions for how to handle this situation were made for me. <laughs> I wish there was a manual that God gave that said, do this and then do this, and then in this situation, do this, and in this situation, do this. Right? I wish. Right? A lot of parents are nodding their heads right now. Well, the Bible is not a step-by-step how-to-parenting manual. It is a collection of wisdom and general principles that parents should strive for in honoring the Lord and raising their children. Likewise, this is the best comparison I have. We don't get the specifics of everything deacons are supposed to do. We don't get diagrams, illustrations, charts, a list of specific responsibilities. Just like every kid is different and wisdom principles will be applied differently, the same goes for deacons. They're going to have different gifts. They're going to have different skills. They'll be able to be used in different areas and to work humbly according to the character and the filling of the Spirit of God that we see and would, would acknowledge. Now, the practical way to understand for our local church and lots of local churches, what the role of deacon is and what it encompasses is much like what we see in Acts chapter 6. As long as I have served at Goss, I'm in my 22nd year, and as long as I can, I can only assume that long before that, deacons at our church have helped to take care of the building, finances, uh, some of the office and equipment and things like that, and, and for some time staffing and needs and the business aspects of managing a local church. Those are the types of things that our deacons have historically done. They've helped in worship by providing leadership to ushers, our uh, worship ministry with sound, uh, lots of different roles that deacons have played. Many non-deacons as servants uh, have uh, continued to, to support our local church as well. So, last week I said that our new constitution, our proposed revision, will have positions for the elders that the spiritual leaders of the congregation will affirm. The proposal for our revised constitution involves elders appointing deacons as needed to lead in basic areas of oversight. Here's where I'm going to get just a little bit specific about the way our local church works. Currently, and I know there are others, so don't hold me to these five, but currently there are five main areas of oversight. Christian education, missions, building, finances, and business aspects. Those are five recognized main areas of oversight. I'm not going to go into detail of all those, but the goal will be for our elders to encourage those gifted to provide oversight and execution in these areas of ministry. The elders' direct involvement in these ministries will continue and will vary as well. Our elders will be qualified to, to lead in some of these areas uh, as well. So just like in Acts chapter 6 where we see them appointing 
the people to come and to help solve the issue of the distribution of food among the widows, we would propose that the elders would appoint deacons as necessary for oversight in those areas and perhaps others as the need would arise. Okay, somehow I skipped this. I want to go backward. In our proposed constitution that you will get to see next Sunday, we have identified three reasons for making changes. One of those reasons is that we would believe that our proposed revision is more in line with what Scripture says. The second reason is that it was more in line, perhaps, with what we're already doing, just by natural processes of administration. Number three, uh, this uh, proposed change uh, would perhaps make a process more simple. All right, so those are three categories of changes. And so the changes that we are uh, proposing, we believe, uh, are fit into the category of being more in line with Scripture, where deacons would be appointed and not have the burden of the government and oversight of the church. So in this proposal, the elders would appoint the deacons. Okay. Also, it's what's currently happening. There are many people who are using their gifts, heart, skills, and knowledge to provide leadership, organization, and unity in important, in important areas of ministry. Not everybody who's involved needs to be a deacon. Not everybody will be. But hopefully that's a little bit of a summary then of roles and the need for wisdom in selecting deacons. Okay, here is a slide that will hopefully help you understand some of the nature of church government. On the left is what we experience in the United States of America. Sorry, kids who thought you were on break from school. Uh, you're going to get back into government class just a little bit. All right? In our nation, we have elected representatives. And now you might include uh, that to make, include in, in, uh, appointed judges uh, who serve at the federal, state, local levels. Okay, But we have elected representatives who make laws and policy, and I just had to throw tax in there because everybody loves that, and uh, they set kind of whatever they think the priorities are. And that then directly affects how we live day to day. That's the way we understand it. Now, the dotted line back to the elected representatives is that the people can often give their input. If I don't like a law, I can call up my senator and say, I don't like that law. Or if I don't like something that is happening and the government is supporting it, I can say, hey, why is the government supporting that? And I can give input into whatever laws are made by those elective repre elected representatives. So what we do in our country is we elect people to represent our interests in the government. It is not that way in the Bible. In the Bible, at the, at the top, I wasn't just indecisive by going God, Jesus, and Bible. Like God is the authority. The Bible is his word, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing. And the structure is there. Jesus is called in Scripture the head of the church. All right. So there's no leader in our local church or any local church that, that is higher than Jesus. He's the head. He's the pastor of every single church and designed to be that way. So, so God has provided structure. Our laws, our information for day-to-day -day living and how we can carry out his purposes. God has provided all that. All right, now, down from that are leaders who are called and affirmed. And you might put a slash there and put appointed. 
in this case, uh, deacons being appointed. We have leaders who are identified as God's representatives for his will. So here's the statement and the phrase that I've always heard that has made the most sense to me. A church leader in the New Testament is not, like in our government, called to represent the people before God. A church leader in the New Testament is called to represent God before the people. Okay? So that's one of those things where we can see a clear difference in, in the way that government happens. And often we, we, want, we can confuse these two and think that our church leaders are people that we've elected to just kind of represent our interests and it gets very political. No. Your church leaders ought to be going to God and be on their knees and, and always be able to explain, this is why we're doing it this way. We believe God is leading in this way. This is how he's convicted. This is how he's led us as we've sought him in prayer. And we've been called in these positions, and we're going to bear these burdens. We're going to handle situations as best we can. And we're also then going to have the effect of that be how we commit to obey God together. And you see that it is a two-way street. It's not that elders and appointed deacons sit on high in a mighty chair and speak down with authority to the rest of everybody who's down below. No, this, there is uh, back and forth and love and communication and support and encouragement and challenge and agreement and disagreement. And we work all those things out together. And I would hope for those of you that have been around a long time, you would say, that's been our experience. We want to develop and to create that culture where you can come and you can ask and you can talk and we can pray and we can process things that are going on. We desire that. So there's a little bit of give and take from the elders and, and leadership and explaining, hey, this is why we're choosing this direction, why we're leading this way, and then inviting feedback and participation from folks. It's not that one person has all the vision. We want to develop that together. I know it's a lot. I hope your understanding of biblical leadership is increasing. So there's your reminder. Heart, character, skills, but not governing direction setting. Okay, who are deacons? We believe Deacons are men and women of humility and high character who desire to serve the church. I have in here our passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Last week, we summarized verses 1 through 7. Today, we're looking specifically at 8 through, six, excuse me, 8 through 13. So these are the qualifications, if you will, characteristics of elders on the left and deacons on the right. You don't have to be able to see and read every single thing that's there. You don't have to copy it all down. You can just open up your Bible. You'll be able to see the same lists. I want to point out a couple of things. One, uh, you, I have highlighted in bold, manage, manages his household well. For elders, in verse 5 of 1 Timothy 3, it says, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? A direct connection to the role of elders in caring for and providing oversight for God's church. Contrast that with what we see in verse 12 about deacons. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. No further commentary connecting their role to the oversight and governance of a church. So that's one thing I would like to uh, point, or point out. 
in the question, uh, who are deacons? Obviously, this sentence, men and women of humility and high character who desire to serve the church, includes a change in our perspective on who is recognized as a deacon. Up until this point, our Constitution has allowed for the annual election of eight deacons, and that office has been limited to men. And so I didn't even save it for blanks on the outline. I put it right there in the sentence so you know what's coming, you know what we're talking about. I'm not going to try to just hope that you're asleep by the end of the sermon and sort of slide this one past you around on the way out the door. Okay, we're not trying to be sneaky about this. It is a big difference, uh, is that we will, uh, going forward, propose that the elders be able to appoint women to fulfill the role of deacon as necessary. Now, I'm going to spend some time on this, a few more minutes uh, before we close, because there's a couple things I really want you to understand about this shift. I am going to explain it from Scripture. But first of all, here's what I don't want to have happen. Okay, much like proposing changes to elders and other adjustments that we will propose, those of us who've worked on the new constitution are not doing so because we think that we're somehow better than the past of God's Memorial Church. I want to repeat that while no church's past is perfect and neither is ours, we've experienced a lot of faithfulness. We have seen decades of faithful service by men who have been elected to the office of deacons. Yes, there have been problems on both elders and deacons. Don't hide that. No church should. When you have humans involved, you're going to have things that you have to make right. However, I don't want to propose change and say, oh, man, we are so opposed to the past, and now all of a sudden we've had this epiphany in 2021, and we're so superior to the way everything has been done because we are the best. Okay, I'm mocking myself at this point, but I hope the point is landing. It is not our heart and intent in proposing changes. The decision to ask the congregation to approve a constitution that allows elders to appoint women's, it just doesn't, women's, women, it doesn't say, well, we've gotten it wrong for all these years and now we're finally going to get it right. Nor, this is maybe even more important, nor does this decision or proposal come as a result of our cultural moment. In case you've been living in a cave or under a rock, I will acknowledge and inform you that we obviously live in a culture where issues of sexuality and gender are very prominent as values in our culture today. So we are not making a switch because of a groundswell of cultural support, and now's the time, rah, rah, rah. To say that and to do that would be to ignore, number one, the biblical witness, and number two, the witness of church history. Very few people, and what I mean here is you have people who still believe that the office of deacon is reserved for men. We respect them, we love them, no matter where people fall on the, on, the, on the perspective of whether women should serve in a role of deacon or not, very few will deny that women served in a deacon role in the New Testament church. 
The same word that's used for deacon here in, that we're studying in 1 Timothy 3 is a word that is used to describe Phoebe in Romans 16, verse 1. Some English translations refer to Phoebe as a deacon or a deaconess in the house of God. The word at its core, diakonos, means servant. And so some English translations uh, refer to her as a general servant. What is not up for debate is that she played a specific and a very important role that is mentioned. She was the bearer of the letter to the Romans that Paul wrote. A very important position, and she is mentioned coupled with the same word that we see in 1 Timothy 3 for deacon. She was possibly even the one to read it to the early believers. Another example, Luke chapter 8, first few verses show us how women supported Jesus. They were among his followers. They helped him and supported his ministry, even with their own means. I mentioned church history. Throughout church history, many Bible-believing churches have recognized the service, skills, and abilities of women with the same expectations of character that men would have upon them. And we believe that there is evidence in 1 Timothy 3 to bear this out. I want you to stay with me. In the translation I read this morning, if you have your Bibles open and you're still in 1 Timothy 3, I want you to focus in on verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to read it again for you so you can hear it. Verse 11 says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Is the word for wives a word that means wives, generally? Yes, the Greek word is a word that means wives. It's the same word that we studied a few weeks ago in Ephesians 5 in looking at the roles between husbands and wives. However, depending on the context and what is needing to be communicated, the word also can be generally translated as women. I pulled up the list. You compare this verse with a lot of other English translations, and many English translations, and I want to say, say that loosely, many of them do not translate this word as wives. They translate it as women. Further, I have a bone to pick with the way that the ESV, which we use for our, our public uh, communication of Scripture, I have a bone to pick with the way that they have translated this. I'm not a Greek scholar or a Greek expert, but if you pull up the Greek, here's, I know this is a little bit laborious, but I want to help you understand it because it's a shift. Okay, so stick with me for just a couple more minutes. And there's a case in the Greek of nouns that, that implies possession. In our translation here, it says their wives, like the wives of deacons generally how you translate the genitive case of a noun. The phone of Kevin, right? Kevin's phone, that would be in the genitive case. This word that is translated wives in the ESV is not attached to possession at all. It's not in the genitive case. And I do not understand why their wives is translated the way it is. If you pull up the same verse 
1 Timothy 3.11, you plug it into your Bible software, and you, you scroll down and you just look at that verse compared. Most English translations do not have the word there, and about half of them do not have the word wives. It just simply is translated the women. Okay, that seems like a lot, but I want to show from Scripture why we're allowing for the difference. In that case, verse 11 takes on a little bit of a difference. The women and the women deacons must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. I hope in going through this, and maybe you think slogging through some of this, I understand. I hope it provides insight into the study that we've done in looking at what elders and deacons are and what their roles should be and who should participate. So just like elders, some within our church and outside will not agree with our position. We love them as brothers and sisters. But I hope that you understand this is why we have the convictions that we have moving forward. In conclusion, let's all be reminded that we need to be led presence of elders and deacons are a reminder of our need to be led. They're a reminder of our weakness. They're a reminder of the leader's weakness. The leaders are told to lead in humility. Otherwise, they go to their heads. Don't want to be tempted with authority and lead like a jerk. You want to lead well. Christ is called the chief shepherd. No human will take his place, and nor should they. We're saved from our sins only by the grace of Jesus, entering those promises through faith and repenting of our sin. We are a people in need of law and structure in our lives, even though we come to Christ in grace. The New Testament bears out the need for that structure, and especially in the church. We want to be practical. We want to build people up. I hope you stay tuned for next Sunday. I'm excited to talk about the Great Commission and what it will mean for our church as we participate in local church life together moving forward. We'll put a bookmark and we'll wait until next Sunday.